Hey folks, welcome to Bad GM's Campaign Build Along. I'm the Bad GM, Wayne Davis, and this is the show where we build an entire campaign from scratch. This season, we're building for the Fallout role-playing game, and if you still don't have a copy of the rules, you can head out to your local game or bookshop to get one, and if those aren't options, check out the Modiphius Entertainment website, M-O-D-I-P-H-I-U-S Now, I don't mention this very often for the obvious reasons, but if you don't happen to be a fan of the Fallout role-playing game, I have been told by a number of our listeners that they've taken the campaign we've been working on this season and used it for a number of other post-apocalyptic games. All they've had to do is change out the system specifics from Fallout to the game they're using. So, even if Fallout isn't on your must-play list, What we're working on here is still something you should be able to get some use out of. Before we get into our recap and build for this week, I wanted to apologize for last week's episode being late. I went out with my grandson while he was trick-or-treating, and I got a little bit overexposed to the cold we were having in the Midwest. Wound up with enough of a cold that it took until Friday morning for me to be able to record anything without coughing after about every other sentence, so that's why it took so long. I'm feeling much better now, so again, my apologies for the delay. And that leads me to this. Make sure you're following Bad GM Productions on social media, because when things like last week's delay happen, I make sure to update everybody through the socials so you know what's up and why. I also use those to answer questions and communicate with all of you, so there's that little added bonus. All of the socials are in the info box for this episode or on the website badgmproductions.net. So by now you know the drill, and that's the fact that we recapped the previous week's show before we build new stuff, so let's get that recap out of the way. And we're going to keep it simple this week, and there's a reason for that. It's entirely possible your group hit all, some, or none of the encounters we built out last week. But the short version of last week's build is that we detailed the various areas of Forest Park to give a lot of challenges to the group. Hopefully they're still alive, and hopefully they've gotten to the art museum, since that's where we're going to pick up this week. Well, almost. See, the giveaway that there's something worth checking out here will be about 200 to 250 yards away from the museum, and that's coming from any direction. Four individuals in T-60 power armor, so we're going to use the Brotherhood of Steel Paladin stats for those guys. Between you and me, these are more of those elite Garson tactical guys our group's been running into for some time. Which raises the question, or at least should be raising the question, if the group destroyed their base of operations, where the hell are all these guys coming from? I can assure you we'll get to that answer at some point, so just keep telling your group whatever you've been telling them to this point. I'm sure they've probably deduced that there's another base somewhere, and they're right, but we just don't want to tell them that right now. Anyway, the guards will attack the group on site, and if the combat goes longer than three rounds, one of the other groups will join in. Four more will join after the seventh round, and if by chance this goes 12 rounds, the final group of four will join in. So, it's in the best interest of your group to end the combat as quickly as possible, and to do so without a big boom. The reason for that should become obvious shortly. Oh, and once they're done with that, let's have them make Perception plus Luck Checks Difficulty 4. If they make it, they see clouds of something pouring out of modified stacks at the sides of the museum. 
It should be rather obvious that these are where all of the extra radiation and smog cover are coming from. And it should also be obvious that destroying the stacks won't fix the problem. But this discovery will give them another task to complete while they're inside. The group will need to figure out how they want to get in. Now, in our time, there's the main entrance, but there's also a couple of maintenance and staff entrances on the side of the building. However, we're going to eliminate those from consideration because of the power armor they're wearing, so that means they're going to need to come in the front. That being said, should they decide they want to get out of their armor and go in through a side door, we'll allow them to do that, but they're going to lose a quarter of their health points and need a dose of Radaway to get everything back. So there is a risk-reward situation here, and I'll lay out where those doors are as we work through the building. And yes, this is going to play out much like we drew up Barnes Hospital many episodes ago. So you might want to get your graph paper out and draw up a map while I'm going through this. Granted, I'm not using graph paper, but if it's your style, I'm certainly not going to dish you for it. Also, for those who've been to the art museum before, please don't at me about how I'm laying this out. While I know it's going to be vastly different from the real layout, I'm not concerned about being 100% accurate on this one taking a little creative liberty. I just wanted to make sure we're all on the same page here. The double doors of the museum are just high enough for someone to enter in power armor. And when they enter, they realize that the entry area is huge. It's about 600 feet long and 300 feet wide with short stairs heading up on either side. And those are about 500 feet down. There's what was once an information desk for the museum dead center on the Western wall. Oh, and I forgot to mention this a moment ago, but the group is entering from the north, so work your orientation accordingly. That desk is rather large at 50 feet by 20 feet and configured in a half circle. It should be obvious that this was set up to accommodate several people at once. Nothing of value remains at that desk, by the way. There are a couple of concrete benches on the eastern wall, both on the northern side of the stairwell. And if there was ever any artwork in this lobby, it has long since been looted. Now, the group's got a decision to make here. Exit the power armor to make it easier to move silently, or stay in it and make enough noise to be heard from hundreds of feet away. It is a tough call, and I can see where the group would decide to do either one. One thing they're probably paranoid about is having their power armor stolen while they're searching the building. If you need to, remind them that they can pull the power core out of it, which will make it practically useless unless somebody just happens to have a core on them when they want to steal it. Now, I'll grant you that it won't prevent someone from finding a way to damage or destroy it, but playing the what-if game for too long isn't in anyone's best interest. And if they are worried about radiation damage, they will realize that when they opened the doors and came in and the doors closed behind them, they have sealed. So once they give it a few minutes for the radiation to dissipate, they will be just fine outside of the armor. I'm going to write this up as if they leave the armor behind. So if they decide to stay in it, be aware that they're not sneaking up on anybody. And there will be a couple of spots that are either going to be really tight or impossible to get into without damaging the building, which is not recommended since they're not 100% sure of the stability of the building at the moment. Thus, the don't use a big boom outside. I am going to try to remember to note those spots as we go along, but if I forget, pick one or two that you think would best work for what I've described and just go along with it. For the record, since we need to be rather precise on our sizes here for all the obvious reasons, those stairwells are about 60 foot wide, 
So there's plenty of room for the group to make their way in. And since my group tends to go left to right when they enter a building, that's the way I'm going to build this out. Headed up the stairs, they come into a long hallway. It's about 30 feet wide and at least 40 feet high. And they can see where artwork was cut from the frames, as well as the stands that sculptures once sat on. They're all empty, which means the scavengers got here at some point before the building was secured and taken over. The hallway itself is about 300 feet long, and about halfway down, they see a five-foot door on the southern wall. This would be one of those access doors I mentioned a moment ago. On the north side of the hallway, there are two openings into another exhibition room. They're equal distance apart, so we'll put them at 100 and 200 feet respectively, about 10 foot wide, about 10 foot high. The room they enter into will bring their first encounter, and it's a dozen men in Garson tactical gear. Now, if they left the power armor behind, they're going to get the drop on these guys, since they weren't anticipating someone having entered the building that wasn't one of theirs. Normally, that would mean the group would all get to attack once before the enemy, but this is going to be enough of a jump that will give the group two rounds of attacks before the Garson boys get their weapons and can attack on their initiatives in the third round. We're back to using the Brotherhood of Steel Knight stats we've been using, and those are on page 383. Needless to say, if they've been stomping around in power armor, they lose the advantage and the enemy is waiting for them when they enter the room, so run the combat as usual. Once things are finished, the group's got several minutes to patch themselves up and take stock of what's left in the room. They find several mattresses on the floor, along with packs of rations and assorted garbage the troops have been leaving in the corners of the room. This room is much like the hallway they were just in, all of the paintings have been taken, and the display cases and pedestals have been cleared off. Have them make perception plus luck checks, though. That's a difficulty three, and we're only doing this if they're really searching the room. If they don't specifically state they're checking things out very carefully, cut this. Successful checks have the group finding a couple of five-foot-wide doors hidden in the walls. A check of those show that they're basically access hallways of some sort. So like five foot by however many foot high it needs to be. Doing one of these checks means they have to do it without power armor. And they figure out that these were access points for the mechanicals for the building. Because that makes sense. Because a place that's fancy like the art museum is going to want all the mechanicals hidden. Oh, and I forgot to lay out the size of this room. It's 200 feet long and 300 feet wide. Those doors we noted would be on the west wall and would be at 75 and 175 feet. For the record, of course, since some groups are rather, let's just say OCD about sizes of things. And I say that because I've got one of those folks in my group. <laughs> of course, if Jim actually listened to this podcast, I'd know I'd be catching crap from him at the game tomorrow night. But then again, Gabe's going to probably narc me out. So whatever. Anyway, at the 90-foot point in the northern wall and extending for 10 feet, there's another entryway, 10 foot high. The room this empties into is yet another exhibition room, and it's the same size as the one they were just in. In fact, it's laid out exactly the same as the other. Now, nobody's in this room, though they do find some more mattresses, rations, and garbage in here, so it's likely this is where the rest of the guys they just took out have been sleeping. On the north wall, there are another pair of openings, and they're at 50 and 100 feet and are 10 feet wide, 10 feet tall. These exit into another hallway. This one's 140 feet wide and 300 feet long. As they exit into the hall, they see another 5 foot wide doorway on the east wall, which is another of the doors they might have noticed on the outside of the building. 
As it's been in every room and hallway they've been into to this point, all of the artwork has been removed. What makes this hallway different is the stairs heading up that are at the end. Now in the real museum, this hallway turns back towards the other hallway, then empties back where we came from. Since I'm altering the design, I'm going to take some liberties here. This stairwell is also 140 feet wide, but we'll head up those steps in a bit because I want to build out the western wing of this floor first. So working from the entry hall, when the group heads up these stairs, they once again dump into a 300 foot long by 60 foot wide hallway. Like the one on the east side, it's got two openings on the north side that dump into exhibition rooms. Unlike the other hall, these are two separate rooms. We'll get to that in a moment. There's two more access doors in this hallway, one on the south side and one on the west side. Since we've got two exhibition rooms to get into, let's hit the first one the group will come across. Now this room's a bit smaller than what we've built to this point. While the others were 300 feet wide, this one's only 150 and it's 240 feet long. There are doorways to the north and the west and it's quickly obvious that this room connects to two other rooms in this area. It's also obvious that there's a group of Garson tactical men in here. Much like we wrote it up last time, if the group's not moving around in power armor, they get the drop, and that means they get the two free rounds before the men in this room get to act. But unlike the previous attack, there are only six men in here. Needless to say, there are six men in each of the other three rooms in this area. That being said, the group gets the drop on all of them, so the groups in the other three rooms won't get there until the end of round two anyway. Again, two dozen men, and we're still using the Brotherhood of Steel night stats on page 383. Once they're done with this, they can check the rooms, and they're all laid out basically the same, so I'll describe one, and you can apply it to the other three, with the exceptions I'll be noting momentarily. These rooms were all sculpture and other handmade display objects, like models and such. Nothing's still here, but there are some pieces of wood and metal laying on the floor that gives away what might have once been here. There are six mattresses in each room, as well as a number of rations and garbage like we put into the rooms on the eastern side. There's another set of four rooms next up, and they're laid out like the last four, with the exceptions I'll note next. No mattresses or garbage in here, though. Here are the changes. There are doors in the four easternmost rooms that lead into the westernmost rooms, and they're at the 110 to 130 point in the wall. In the four western rooms, there's another one of those access doors, and that accounts for all of the access doors that aren't the main entrance. There's also another one of those maintenance access doors in each of the easternmost rooms, and they're the same as the ones in the east wing. One other thing to note, the doorways running from the south to the north are all lined up, so moving from one hallway all the way to the other is a straight shot. That takes us to the hallway in question. It's the same length as the one on the south side, 60 feet wide, 300 feet long. No art still here, and at the eastern end, there are stairs going down. Again, this is a change to the real museum, and I'm going to do it to make things easier because I hate the way the stairs are laid out in the real one. Or at least I hated the way they were laid out the last time I visited, and I got to admit that was several years ago. Okay, so at this point, we either need to build the third floor or the basement. Since I'm putting the major encounter in this scenario in the basement, we build up. Yeah, I'm going to be that way. Sorry, not sorry. I'm also going to simplify the layout of the floor. 
This level takes up the entirety of the top floor. So we're going to deal with 900 feet wide, 600 feet long. That's a big difference from the real museum. But again, I'm taking liberties here. So please don't at me on that. I'm going to give you all of the rooms and their dimensions before I fill them in because I've decided it's a lot easier to do it that way. The stairs are going to dump out into a 400 foot wide, 200 foot long room with doorways on the south and west walls. And that west wall dumps into another 400 by 200 room. That room also has a doorway on the south wall. Those southern doorways enter into a 200 foot long, 900 foot wide room with three doorways at equal distances along the southern wall. Those lead to three 200 foot wide by 300 foot long rooms. And the eastern and western rooms have doorways in them that lead into the center room. It should also be noted that this floor once contained exhibits of armor and weapons from throughout human history. So there will be armor stands and weapon racks throughout the floor, though they are all empty. Okay, so the reason for skimping on the flavor text is because we've got a lot of combat on this floor. So let's get to it. The group gets one opportunity to get a drop on a group, and it's the group in the room they enter from the stairs. It's Garson Tactical, and it's three more than the total number of group members. Same stats we've been using. Okay, I lied. There's an equal number in the Western room and they'll come in at the end of round three since they would have also been somewhat surprised. Now, if you really want to challenge your group, increase the number of men involved in the fight, but don't put too many in there because we've got a couple of big challenges coming up on this floor and in the basement. The center room has something the group hasn't dealt with yet. Assaultrons. We'll go with two of them since we've got other beings to use if this turns out to be a fairly easy fight. Shouldn't be, but it might be. Stats are on page 357. The other beings I was referring to are the men that have been sleeping in the three rooms on the southern side. Double the number of group members, spread them out equally among the three rooms, and they are all Garson Tactical. Now, if you need to bring some of them in during that Assaultron deal, bring them in gradually, since the point is to seriously challenge the group without killing anybody. And I realized we just turned this entire floor into a battle slog, but that was actually the point, at least for me. If the group's tired, somewhat injured, and starting to run low on supplies, that's going to make the challenges in the basement that much more challenging. It's also going to force them to be more tactical and thoughtful when they have those encounters rather than charging in guns a-blazing, if that's their style. And again, the use of explosives should be strongly discouraged. They have no idea how structurally sound this building is, so taking chances with high explosives, especially on the top floor, wouldn't be a wise decision. I'll also mention in advance that it would be a really bad idea to do this in the basement. I mean, that should be obvious, but sometimes our groups don't think about that. And I've got a guy in my group that's a bit of an explosives junkie, so things should get really interesting. Okay, so we should probably discuss this whole not using explosives thing, particularly as it applies to what happens if they decide to do it, because, well, somebody's probably going to do it at some point. There are multiple ways you can handle this, and it really depends on your preference. The first one would be to work from where they toss the explosive, what type of explosive it is, and how much damage it does. Most of the grenades do six dice of damage, so unless they do 10 points of health damage or more, there's really not a whole lot to worry about at that moment. Though I would keep track of where the grenades go and keep track of the points because once 10 points gets met or exceeded, there's going to be a 10-foot jagged hole in the floor. 
And God help them if it's near the wall because blowing out chunks of the wall will eventually cause the roof to drop in on them. And it's a concrete roof, so that's going to suck like uh, 10 dice of damage for each person it hits. Suck. The next way to do it is to have any grenade explosion automatically bust a 10-foot jagged hole in the floor. Should only take one of those to discourage further issues. You can also rule that any damage done to the walls causes a section of roof to fall in. You can decide for yourself how much falls in, but I wouldn't go bigger than about 15 feet. The last way to do it, and the method I'm probably going to use, is the old high-low roll. If a grenade gets tossed, use a regular D6, not a fallout D6, and ask the player to call out high or low. Roll that D6. 1 through 3 is low, 4 through 6 is high. If they got it right, the section gets what we'll call one strike. Failure means two strikes. And just like in a baseball game, three strikes means you're out, or at least that section of floor or wall will be. Like I said, use whichever of these methods you're most comfortable with or come up with one of your own. And if you do that, email me and let me know what you're using. We will put it in an episode to give our GMs another idea for their game. Of course, that's so long as you don't mind using your stuff. And of course, we'll give you credit for it on the air. Okay, so let's get to the main events of this session this go around, and that's going to be the basement. Oh, and if the group decides to head to the basement first instead of the top floor, you can always swap out the top floor and basement floor plans if you're looking to make your group head through everything. It's just a thought. And yeah, I can be that evil sometimes. Coming down the stairs, they run into something they haven't had to deal with yet, and that's closed doors. It's a set of double doors, and they take up the entire 60-foot space. They are locked, so perception plus lockpick difficulty 2 to get them opened. Also, they realize they're going to be dealing with a low bridge here as the doorway is a standard height. Think about six, six and a half feet. That means power armor isn't going to work down here, which means they need to make the tough decision. And it's actually not that tough of a decision. If they want to go down here, they're going to have to leave the armor if they were already wearing it. Obviously, they're not going to want to do that. But since they haven't found Jessica Denman or anything that would lead them to her, they need to get down here. And of course, we all know splitting the party is never a good idea. As they enter the basement, there's a wall running to their right, south, for about 100 feet before the wall in front of them at the 150-foot mark forces them to make a right-hand turn. The room they're standing in is about 150 feet wide by 270 feet long, and it's apparent this was once some sort of evaluation room for pieces of art. Dozens of desks are in here, and there are various stands on them that paintings and sculptures could be set on in order to be evaluated for authenticity. No combat challenges in here, so they've got a moment to catch their breath. There's a door on the south wall at the 140-foot mark, and it runs to the western wall. It's not locked, so the group can open it and head in. This hallway is 50 feet wide and 270 feet long. It's also guarded, though the turrets here aren't anything they haven't seen before. We're going to toss wall-mounted laser turrets at them. The stats are on pages 380 and 381. Now, this hallway opens up about two-thirds of the way down, so use however many you'd like and spread them out however you'd like. They're level five, so if you want to go double the number of group members, that's not necessarily too bad a thing. However, if your group's taken a pounding to this point, you've also got the option to only put, say, two or three in here to allow them to get through and make it a little bit easier. 
That left hand turn to the east, then to the south, opens into another evaluation room with about 10 desks in here, which would lead the group to surmise that larger art pieces were probably checked here. This room's 75 feet wide and 270 feet long, so space the desks out however you'd like. There are also two doors here, one near the southern wall and one about 30 feet from the northern wall. They're standard-sized doors, and they're both unlocked. Behind the southern door, they find a very large storage closet. It's 100 feet wide and 75 feet long and has crates organized into very neat stacks. They're all empty, but they're stacked nicely. The obvious assumption that these crates once held art pieces and were stacked here for future use. The condition of the crates would also be a dead giveaway, and the fact that they're still together after more than 200 years is probably due to the fact that they were behind a door in a basement room. Or at least that should be the most likely theory. The other door leads into a 10-foot wide, 75-foot long hallway. Nothing of note here, but when the southernmost wall ends at 75 feet, they've got the option to either turn to the north or to the south, and both hallways are 10 feet wide. Since my group has a thing for going left, we're going to go left first. Now, I mentioned the hallway is 10 feet wide. It's also short, about 15 feet long. A standard door is at the end, and it's locked with a more sophisticated lock than they've seen thus far. That means it's perception plus luck, difficulty 5. When they enter the room, they find the source of the radiation that's been pumped into the park, also the source of the smog. The system appears to be drawing radiation out of a half a dozen nukes, siphoning off the radioactive materials, and pumping them through a system of pipes that seem to run throughout the northern wall. There's also a rather unusual-looking system that seems to be creating smog and combining it with the radiation. No scientific logistic reason as to how they're doing this, but at a glance, it would appear it's drawing off the building systems to make it work. If you've got a better explanation, run with it. Again, the group has a decision to make. Destroy the system or figure out how to deactivate it. Obviously, destroying the system would lead to releasing a lot of radiation and smog into a 150 by 300 foot room and is probably going to pretty quickly kill anybody who's not a ghoul, super mutant, or robot, so obviously that's not the best option. The best option is option two, deactivation. There appears to be three separate computers running the system, so that's going to require three intelligence plus science checks, difficulty three. There's a problem, though. All three checks have to be made at the same time, which means that three group members have to work together to make it happen, and they all have to succeed. Tell you what, to figure that one out, let's give somebody an intelligence plus science difficulty two check to figure it out. I mean, come on, we want them to succeed, so let's give them a way to figure out what they got to do before they screw it up. Of course, failure is always an option, but since there are three ways to fail, there are four possible outcomes. The first is that all three checks succeed. At that point, the system shuts down safely and no more radiation or smog are being pumped into the air. The second is that two rolls succeed, but one fails. We're going to be nice and give them something, but not what they probably really want. The smog will be stopped, but the radiation will continue to pour out. Next up is a single success and two failures. One of the systems is going to fail. Again, we'll be nice and make it the smog system, which means smog will start to fill the room. As soon as it does, they've got about a minute to get out of the room before visibility becomes zero and they start choking on the smog as they breathe it in. So, skip on to the next room we cover. The last is probably the worst possible outcome, and that's three failures. 
the entire system fails and the room is quickly filled with both smog and radiation. They've got 30 seconds to get out and get the door shut before we've got issues. And even then the radiation will affect them since they're not in their power armor. This is where Radex and Radaway are going to come into play. Oh, and if the group successfully shuts the systems down, they can cannibalize them for parts. Just use your judgment on what they can get. Let's get back into the hall and take that right we could have taken when we went left. This hallway's longer than the other at 180 feet. It's still only 10 feet wide, however. At the 180 foot mark, it swings to the left and goes another 50 feet before it gets to the door. This one's unlocked, and when they enter the room, they'll find out why. We don't know what might have been here at one time. What we do know is that there are two Assaultrons in here today. Same stats as before, but there is no backup. Once they're done, there are doors on the eastern and northern walls, and we'll continue to use the left-first philosophy. The door is unlocked, and they have another encounter, five more than the total number of group members, and it's more Garson Tactical. We're using the Brotherhood of Steel Paladin stats, but they don't have the power armor, so adjust accordingly. For those who didn't note the pages, stats are on pages 383 and 384. Oh, and it goes without saying, but if you feel that any of the encounters I've laid out are too powerful, adjust the numbers to match your comfort level. If I'm being honest, I'd rather underpower an encounter than overpower it, even though I seem to keep overpowering them for this show. I don't know what it says about me as a GM, but it's probably not good. Again, no clue as to what was once in this room, but there are mattresses everywhere now. There's a door on the northern wall, and we'll head through that to the next room. The door's not locked, and they can easily enter and get a quick look around. The room's 200 feet long and 150 feet wide, and they realize that, for once, there's nothing here to attack them. Heck, there's nothing in the room. So again, we don't know what this room once was, but it's nothing now. There's a door on the western wall, and we're going to go through that. This room is 300 feet wide and 600 feet long and is, as you might have guessed, the final room for this scenario. It's lit up bright as daytime, and the group can see the various banks of computers lining the western wall. They can also quickly figure out why the door was unlocked. There are not one but two sentry bots in here. Stats are on pages 364 and 365, and these can be campaign enders. So if your group's really running low on health points and ammo, cut one of them and then just use one. There's also a woman sitting in front of one of the computers, casually typing away as the combat proceeds. When it's over, she's still typing away. If and when the group goes to address her, she ignores them, which leads them to another decision. Do they just kill her where she sits and hopes she's Jessica Denman, or do they spin the chair around and confirm it? For the record, they can see blonde hair from where they are, and they know Jessica's a blonde. However, the group is probably going to want to confirm that they've got the right target before they kill somebody in cold blood, so they're going to spin that chair around, and they're going to see the cold face of an uncovered synth. In other words, the mechanical part of the synth staring at them. Now, at that point, they're just going to kill it, and we're not going to make them roll for that. It's not going to defend itself or try to attack or do anything like that. Once it's dead, however, a very familiar voice calls out to them through the speakers in the room. You know, you are so predictable. All I had to do was make sure Victor's little helpers were fed some misinformation, and he managed to send you exactly where I wanted you to go. 
With all the time you've wasted getting to this point, we've managed to almost finish what we need to for the Brotherhood of Steel, so I'd say you're just about out of time. But I believe in giving you a sporting chance, so find your way south of Diamond Pass to a certain facility owned by one of Victor's friends. Since we killed them when the Brotherhood made their grand entrance, we don't have to hide what we've been using their facility for anymore. Of course, it's going to take you a bit to get there, and we might just be able to get done before you do. And since our partners in the Brotherhood of Steel graciously provided us with a vertebrate to use, if you're even a minute too late, well, you know what that means. Clock's ticking. Good luck. And obviously, that's the voice of Jessica Denman, just making that clear. And I do think that's a good point to end this week's build. Next week, well, next week we're going to try to figure out where the group needs to go. And I've got to be honest, I've got a couple of ideas, but I'm not 100% sold on any of them just yet. Fortunately, I've got seven days to figure it out. In the meantime, check out our other podcast, Role Playing History. This week, we take a deep dive into the games Fighting Fantasy, Sorcery, and Advanced Fighting Fantasy. And if that sounds like a lot, we're doing it because they're all part of the same system. Role-Playing History is available wherever you get your podcasts or from our website, badgingandproductions.net. All Fallout role-playing game materials referenced on this show are the trademarked and copyrighted properties of Modifius Entertainment through their license with Bethesda Games and are utilized on this show for entertainment purposes only. To check out all of the fine gaming products produced by Modifius, check out their website, modiphius.net. The music we use for this show comes from pixabay.com. Check them out for all your license-free, royalty-free music needs. Bad GM's Campaign Build-Along is a production of Bad GM Productions. We're all over social media, so check out the info box for this episode or the website badgmproductions.net to see where you can follow us. Next week, we see if the group can catch Jessica Denman before she and her group get away with whatever it is they've been working on. I wish I had more to give you than that, but that's how the creativity thing goes from time to time. That's all going to be next week, though. Until then, I'm the bad GM, Wayne Davis, and I'll see you at the game table.